Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. My name's Liz Murphy and I am sitting beside Lake Aragon in a national park on the north coast of New South Wales, just soaking up nature, which is the theme of our episode today, Bush Adventure Therapy. I'm really excited to be introducing this episode to you because I feel like nature is certainly my therapist at the moment. Welcome to Social Work Stories, a podcast exploring social work practice through stories and critical reflection. This podcast is recorded on Aboriginal country, which was never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. We offer a warm welcome to any Indigenous listeners who are part of our podcast community around the world. If you have thoughts or feedback for our team, or just want to find our whole back catalogue of episodes, check out our website, socialworkstories.com. But for now, on with the episode. Hello everyone, welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. I'm Dr Mim Fox and I am in the studio as opposed to my fabulous co-host Liz Murphy, who you just heard was in the bush. But wait, I'm back. Yep, back. I've had my my week of bush therapy and I'm a rejuvenated rejuvenated social work podcaster. I, I, I love bet people it. can hear that in my voice, I'm sure. I'm sure no they birds. can. I'm sure they can. And I'm sure everybody was going, those birds don't, don't sound like Mim and Liz. Uh, but that was just a moment that you captured while you were away, right, Liz? How fabulous. It was so beautiful. Yeah. The bird life was unbelievable. I even had a swim in the ocean. So I thought it was in keeping with the theme of today's episode, Mim, that, you know, here I am in nature, I'm experiencing rejuvenation, and we get to talk about it now in a therapeutic model. That's right. That's right. So this is a special episode, Liz, because we were able to have a conversation with um, Amanda Smith and Josh McLean, who uh, Amanda's an academic at Griffith University and Josh is a practitioner working in the space of bush adventure therapy. And, um, and, when they first brought the idea up to us, it was like really intriguing to me, Liz. I was thinking, you know, how does, how do, are we all, we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about the benefits that nature can provide, right, in, in the therapeutic space. But how do we actually see the bush as a therapy in itself? Is it possible for nature to be a co-therapist with us? I, um, I must admit when you told me that we were going to have an episode on this, I was triggered because I, I had this image of me in year 10 abseiling down a rock on one of our many, you know, Catholic schoolgirl retreats. And I thought I needed therapy after those retreats, but it's anything but. This is something that's really interesting. And like you say, 
um, nature is the co-therapist in this space with the social worker. So it probably will make a lot more sense to our wonderful listeners if they listen to this story first and then will we come back and then have a little bit of a discussion? I think so. I think so. Let's listen to Josh tell this fantastic practice story um, and uh I think as listeners, like, start to get a sense of what does bush adventure therapy actually look like? What does the therapeutic space look like when you're taking it outside of the clinical room? And uh, it changes really everything that we do, I think, Liz, all the way from assessment through to our intervention. So, yeah, let's have a listen to Josh. Hi, I'm Josh McLean. I'm employed full-time with a small family operator and own business that delivers outdoor education, guiding instruction, bush adventure therapy, outdoor counselling, disability support and therapy dog adventures. My role primarily is co-lead on the bush adventure therapy program that we've been running for a few years now. Predominantly, I do one-to-one work However, I work also one to two and also facilitate group mental health programs. I'm excited to share this practice that I will refer to as Bush Adventure Therapy or BAT for short. Essentially social work in the outdoors, so integrating the ecological domain explicitly into the biopsychosocial model of health. And Before we get stuck into a case study, I want to highlight to you that what I'm about to share is nothing new. And what I mean by that is that these practices of being outdoors, connecting to nature, have been a part of Indigenous approaches to health and well-being on the planet for millennia, you know, especially here uh, in Australia on stolen land, uh, the way that we practice uh, connecting to country would be the indigenous approach and uh, the western approach is uh, healthy parks, healthy people and getting outdoors for better health and well-being. So on this particular day I received a self-referral through word of mouth This person completed an intake form with assistance from their permanent carer and they're 16 years old. They reported having a diagnosis of ASD level 2, ADHD, anxiety and depression with potential early childhood trauma with daily medication. So first of all we set up an intake interview over Zoom. Uh, This was the case as this person was unable to travel in. Uh, I prefer doing face-to-face intake and that might be uh, if they have another uh, support person, whether that's a family member, a carer, service provider that can come in with them either to our office or an agreed uh, safe place in a, in a green uh, space like a park um, in the area. So. After the intake and initial assessment over 
Zoom, I was able to co-design the outdoor activities that this participant was interested in, namely fishing and bushwalking. Through NDIS funding, this participant was able to attend weekly bat sessions over an extended period of time. Activities ranged from, but weren't limited to, bushwalking, bird watching, fishing, mountain biking, bush cooking, rock climbing, and eventually multi-day expeditions, which not only deepen the experiences, but also provide respite to the participant and their family or support. So the initial reason for this referral was that this young person was increasingly disengaged from school, socially isolated, addicted to their screens and challenging to be around for their family. A pretty common presentation that we have come through to us. So utilizing a BAT program plan, the participant and I were able to clearly map their goals, align to their NDIS plan, as well as any additional goals that they had. Some of the focused psychological strategies I used with this young person included solution-focused, strengths-based, narrative therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, and mindfulness-integrated CBT. Using acceptance and commitment therapy, or known as ACT, we were able to identify their main values and use that as a compass to direct us toward meaningful change. While we worked together on the NDIS goals of increased independence, social and emotional regulation, community participation, such as schooling, and improved physical fitness, it really became clear to this young person that hiding in their room house was only leading to more anxiety, depression, and, and a sense of helplessness, plus increased conflict with their family, which was leading to codependence. After months of working together, the participant and I, um, particularly the family, expressed that things, if things didn't change, that they felt that the behaviours of concern would become too unbearable and that this young person would have to start looking at moving out of, of the family home. They were stuck and giving up wasn't an option for them. One day when we were out on an adventure, we discovered a family of tawny frogmouths. If, if the listener hasn't seen a tawny frogmouth, imagine... A frog and an owl having a baby, they're the most awkward sort of creatures, but they have quite flecked uh, feathers and blend in really well to the trees. So they're quite difficult to spot. And on this occasion, we found fledglings still roosting in the fork of a gum tree. We watched the parents feed and, and care for these two fluff balls until one day they'd flown off. They, they weren't at the nest anymore. And with excitement and awe, we would visit this frogmouth family on a regular basis until this day that they left. And it was reflected by the participant that these fledglings had, had learned from their parents how to fly, catch their own food and thrive in the world. Nature as metaphor is a 
powerful mechanism for change and inner revelation that I use in my practice and this had a profound impact in this instance on this young person so much so that in the coming weeks we set goals for increased school attendance applying for part-time work which involved uh, role-playing um, in some of these natural settings where the young person felt safe and regulated because with their background those windows of focus were so limited that in the natural spaces where the focus was heightened and that window of tolerance expanded, we were really able to work on some of these uh, goals. And joining some local social groups with common interests was also in there to extend those social connections outside of the, the family system. And within a relatively short time, this person went from socially isolated and increasingly challenging to family, uh, potential friends, and even themselves, to acquiring a part-time job, consistent participation at school, uh, even picking up a volunteer position with a business of interest that could lead to career development and even a group of friends that they're able to catch up with and feel a sense of support and belonging outside of the family system, as I mentioned. While there were certainly other services involved with this person, you know, for example, OT, GP, psych, etc., both the participant and the family felt that a Bush Adventure Therapy program played a vital role in shifting the stuckness and helplessness as things had reached a critical point in their life journey. Upon reflecting on this particular case, I'm reminded of the rites of passage and Indigenous approaches to health that explicitly assist people to shift into new and necessary stages of life. To not only develop more responsibility for themselves, but also for their family and their community in meaningful ways that can give them an optimal life or, you know, living their true potential, however that looks. Especially when life has dealt you a particularly difficult hand, having the additional resource of bringing the eco-domain into the biopsychosocial approach has proven itself here in this case study, but also many other examples I could provide from frontline experience, but also from other cultures, both here in Australia and abroad. And while adventure could be misleading, the threshold for adventure is different for everyone. And the strength in this work is that each adventure is individually tailored to the unique needs of the person and group. And this is a philosophy that's held in many of the nature-based practices that activate nature for health and healing. And that's some 30 plus practices that are continuing to grow as our disconnection in the developing world uh, increases. Uh, so too historically are the 
the need for these practices uh, that we are nature and our relationship to the natural world uh, is vital for our our health and well-being so adventure's not just hanging off of a cliff climbing and for super fit able-bodied people where possible i we the team break down barriers for all people to tap into the ecological domain for better health, well-being and healing. So Liz, like I have to just say this isn't my comfort zone, yeah? Like you know that I am quite the urban girl. I um, love the cityscape and uh, if I run away to the bush, it is for the weekend, it is for an event, it is not my every day. That being said, listening to this story of Josh, you know, actually engaged in a therapeutic intervention but in the bush setting really got me thinking about the potential. I agree. Uh, I'm, but I must say I was excited by this because I do love nature. Um, people who know me know that I love being in the bush, love gardening and it actually is therapy just doing those things. But to add the social worker in this is really interesting because for me, Mim, it felt like, look, essentially the bush was a therapeutic space and all of the things that a good social work therapist does was taking place. There yeah. was, you know, a, a, a mindfulness in the assessment there was certainly um, intent and careful planning around what was going to take place. There was that gorgeous use of metaphor with the with the tawny frog mouth. Yes. And we know that metaphor can be so powerful for some of our clients. Yeah. Um, so in in fact, I kind of felt like it was a it was very much a thera- a therapy session just in the bush. I would agree with you. I feel like let's go deeper, particularly around that notion of the assessment. So let's hear, I was um, really privileged to have a conversation with Amanda and Josh. So Amanda Smith from Griffith University and Josh McLean, who you've just heard with the practice story. I was really privileged to sit in a space with them and be able to really go a lot deeper into the practice. So let's hand the mic over to them uh, to just take us that little step and we'll be back with you in a second. In Australia, the Australian Association for Bush Adventure Therapy, which is currently merging into uh, a new um, name, Outdoor Health Australia, um, the definition that uh, brings people together is that it is a diverse field of practice combining adventure and outdoor environments with the intentions to achieve therapeutic outcomes for those involved and when we use the word uh, adventure it is a very it's a very inclusive um, uh, term so um, it's not about you know going on it could be but not necessarily about going on peak adventures like sailing adventures or kayaking or equine using equine therapy it could very much be um, whatever 
adventure may be termed in um, uh, for for the client. It could be as simple as, or actually not as simple as, um, going to the local park um, with with a client that um, might be experiencing a whole range of um, mental health or, or other kind of struggles in their life. And um, outdoor environment, um, also part of that definition, is also very inclusive. It could be oceans, it could be the park, um, it could be by the window in in a client's uh, house, um, and so. Uh, uh, it could, could include a whole lot as well and I think particularly this being a social work um, focused conversation it is always underpinning um, um, ABAT uh, has very clear ethical guidelines and um, I, I would certainly sign up to all of those ethical guidelines and they marry up really well with the ASW um, code of ethics as well so the therapeutic outcome underpins uh, all work involved in ethical professional bush adventure therapy. So that's a bit of a definition, a bit of a little unpacking that comes to my mind. Uh, Josh, does that sit comfortably for you or what else um, comes to mind? No, no, that's a great detailed summary there, Amanda. I think that, uh, yeah, if the listener hasn't heard of bush adventure therapy, yeah, that explicit targeted therapeutic approach in the outdoors, um, marrying sort of allied health whether it's social work, maybe it could be OT. Um, it's the marrying of that with um, the outdoor specialist training and skills. So uh, the person that's conducting bush adventure therapy, and we, we can certainly go down the path of like what uh, certificates and background, but certainly, you know, your first aid, uh, you know, I just did my life-saving recall if we're around blue spaces. So uh, in the very unlikely event, you have to go swimming. It's, uh, you know, but these are the types of considerations because uh, nature is so diverse. It's also a very dynamic environment to work in. And that's one of the big, uh, I guess, strengths of the outdoor work is that uh, you're co-facilitating with nature. So sometimes there are things like, the tawny frogmouth family that you can observe that, you know, I didn't book them in for a three o'clock on a Thursday. You know, that's something that, uh, you know, will naturally happen, if you will. And so... Um, I know for when I entered into um, merging these fields together, Love the outdoors, but no way would I want to take a group of people um, outdoors and hold responsibility. Um, and I, you know, I, I also did a lot of uh, that training at the beginning of my my, my marriage of social work adventure therapy. Um, but it's also not required. Um, the best teams are multidisciplinary. And um, what I'm a big advocate for is for social workers to to better understand um, the options in terms of, of training. And so there's some of the technical skills you might want to take up, but there's a whole lot of, a, a whole lot of um, other ethical um, inclusion of, of nature and celebration of nature um, that that doesn't require um, a lot of the, the the technical skills, especially when you are working within a multidisciplinary team. That's a question that I get asked, you know, quite a bit from social work students. So I really want to um, just um, say that it is very broad as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I like to explain. Um, that it's sort of two jobs in one, like you're a, an outdoor guide and educator, but you're also a 
therapist uh, at the same time. And uh, that it does become a gray area, but from a legal standpoint, it's quite uh, black and white, like in terms of your uh, duty of care. But then um, sort of the best advice I had is, you know, if you were in court and you're explaining this is what we did and are you able to say that at all of those points, you know, we were, you know, I applied every tool possible to ensure that we were safe and effective in our practice. So Amanda brought it up before, um, you know, practicing safe and effective outdoor um, social work, uh, you know, is is a real passion and I guess it needs to be front and centre with how we practice and that sort of expands into that cultural safety as well and Indigenous approaches are very much at the forefront. So cultural safety, you often hear about practitioner acknowledging country when they're on a session or, or not understanding, you know, who the local owners are of the land. And so even from a cult, like the cultural lens as well, um, you know, safety doesn't have to be uh, risk averse. Bush Adventure Therapy is happening at every part along the stream from extreme early intervention to, to high intense uh, uh, crisis kind of uh, interventions as well um, and also within every um, field of practice, whether it be working in childcare or in aged care or in drug and alcohol or in youth spaces, um, I think I, I think um, in every one of those uh, practice domains, there is push adventure therapy happening to different degrees. Um, and also if I could just highlight that the, uh, the Peak Association Outdoor Health Australia has just um, uh, launched a service directory uh, in which if you're in the Northern Territory or South Australia, um, because people are wondering, where can I access this? Um, I'm sure Josh has asked that all the time. How do I access this program? I live here. Where can I send my child, et cetera, et cetera, to? So in response to that, there is now a national service directory that has just been launched and is a great resource to see where it's happening, how it's happening, who's offering it. Um, so great work being done there as well that's great that's amazing so it sounds like actually um coming to the doing of adventure therapy now bush adventure therapy that actually the assessment of um, what the person is bringing with them to this session or to this relationship and um which adventure is going to suit is actually that's going to be a core part of the assessment that happens right because obviously in my understanding of it I mean not every adventure is going to suit every traumatic scenario it would be good for you to talk a little bit about what people bring to these sessions and then how the therapeutic angle then works in with the adventure that would be great to hear a little bit about yeah yeah absolutely um Really, yeah, the philosophy with Bush Adventure Therapy is that not one size fits all and there's certainly no formula for what a right adventure is. But, you know, going back to the safe and effective practice, you know, assuming that that's all lined up, then it really is choose your own adventure. And, and the presentations of the people that we have come into my practice would be ranging from neurodiverse to 
early childhood trauma, working with veterans with PTSD, um, a whole range, like we're talking a whole spectrum of, of presentations and sort of the common theme is that they are looking for something that is active and activates nature as part of their therapeutic milieu, like their response, because conventional practices might be getting them so far, but then they often reach a point where they want to try something new, they hear about us, and then we have the conversation around um, clinical application, but clinical application in the outdoors. And I think back to two um, examples in which I was doing um, half-day programs up to a, a nature-based, um, well, a, a mountain um, that's half an hour outside of Brisbane. You know, just a usual conversation around planning clients to, to go to, to have this kind of uh, nature-based experience. And, and, and a woman said, I can't go. Um, I was sexually assaulted on that mountain. So, and, you know, there's a lot of, and again, social workers, good social workers um, are, are really doing thoughtful assessments. And I think about another time, a sailing program where this uh, young young um, uh, cisgender male was identifying that sailing's not for me. Like to do this, this would just take me out of my comfort zone um, because um, I was, you know, I, I had a caregiver that, often left me unattended in the bath and and so there were some real activations around and trauma responses to being on a large body of water but he came but it was after a whole range of processes that um that that led into making this feel okay um and for him to recreate stories around that so there's i mean there's so many examples josh that i'm sure that that you have but um uh it's adventure it's nature and how do we assess to make sure that where we're going and what we're doing is fully transparent? Everyone knows what we're doing and the power is kind of shared as much as possible when you are including the co-therapist of nature. There's a lot in that. No, no, that's that's really exciting, Amanda, because, um, yeah, you don't know what you don't know until <laughs> you know it. And, uh, and obviously reducing some of that unknown, particularly in the trauma-informed space, is really helpful for working outdoors. So I didn't mention it in the case study, but as part of the intake process, we actually ask, are there any places, spaces, or anything that we need to be aware about in conducting an out-of-doors therapeutic experience for exactly the reason? But of course, you know, there are, I'm not going to go into exact examples, but there are definitely times where, um, you know, you're in the public domain. So even though you're at a national park or regional park, you know, the public has access to it. And if you work, um, you know, within a, you know, a smaller city or, or place, you know, you are bound to cross paths. So um, sometimes that's a blessing. Sometimes that, that can involve a bit of risk management around that. But um, certainly in the intake process, the idea, I use the term co-design for listeners that haven't heard that buzzword. It's uh, really about sitting down uh, with the participant client-centered approach, which is really core to social work. And it's not a doing to, it's not, okay, I'm going to take you rock climbing because I think that's going to create a peak experience and um, boost your level of consciousness and transform that trauma. It's very much um, a doing with and, and that way, 
the co-designing process means that you are creating uh, experiences in the outdoors and really as a uh, practitioner in bush adventure therapy we often use the word facilitator as a you know as you know we're, f- we're sort of on the sideline a bit of a conduit between nature and the participant but we're all we're all there having and sharing that experience together so i think the co-designing process is uh, quite critical for exactly what amanda mentioned because there are definitely spaces and experiences that could actually be anti-therapeutic in an ecological approach, say. If I could just jump in, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, and and Josh and I have spoken about this, is bush adventure therapy, not for everyone, not for every social worker, not for every educator, not for every client. Um, And when I entered into bush adventure therapy, you know, from social work, in it was like um does it speak to me what is do, do i actually enjoy being outside uh do, what kind of spaces do do i enjoy how, how how have i how have i um recovered from burnout and compassion uh fatigue and a, and a whole range of other personal struggles with nature so more things to talk about yeah so i think yeah, we're going deeper now, right, Liz? Yeah, and look, one of the things that I wanted to mention is that this isn't a standalone. Like, it's like a lot of what we do as social work, right? Josh was able to talk to us about this is one element of a very holistic therapeutic plan that he had worked on with his client. So we knew that there was an MDT, other members of the MDT were involved. There was an Mm. occupational therapist, there was a psychologist. But it felt to me like this shook it up in a way. Like I think Josh even said he was stuck. This young man was stuck. And what this... It was it was one of those things that you and I talk about often. Sometimes you have to shake things up in a way that really causes, I don't know, maybe a little bit of dissonance in 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 the relationship or within the person. Just changing it, and for this client, the connection that he had with nature was just wonderful to see. And you wouldn't have got that, I don't think, if you just sat him down in your traditional therapeutic room him I really think that there wouldn't have been that use of metaphor there wouldn't have been the intentional walking and we've seen this before especially with young people you and I have had had heard stories before of using this approach with young people but I don't think it needs to be limited to young people like I, I was thinking wouldn't this be awesome you know for someone who's in a rehab ward medical rehab learning how to work walk on earth as opposed to you know, some of our hospital corridors. That's right. And the research is out there about the impact of the green prescription or the blue prescription on mental health, right? Um, I think for me, what I really loved about this was both Amanda and Josh's emphasis on decolonised practice, on that actually this is grounded in an Indigenous understanding of country and um, of a holistic relationship that we have with our environment. Uh, And I think often, particularly when we limit ourselves to that Um, very strict clinical space, we kind of get uh, bogged down in the uh, very Western notions around boundaries, around um, personal and professional risk, around um, 
you know, where does my work stop and the other person and the client start? Like, where, you know, and I think all of those things actually get looked at through a different lens when you take an Indigenous grounded perspective and you actually say, well, if I am a co-therapist with my surroundings, then just as I impact my client every step of the way, so too does the surroundings with, within which we are. And um, I really appreciated that acknowledgement that this is nothing new, that this is very much borrowing from uh, Indigenous uh, Australians. Um, and I, it really highlighted the fact that it's a living it's like the co-therapist is living. The earth is living in this. It's not, it's not an inanimate object. Yes. And because of that, there is a stronger connection than, like you say, Mim, if they were sitting in a clinical space. And for someone like me, that would actually be soul nourishing. Um, and I would feel very much connected. And I know when I've taken women away on retreats, being in nature is far more healing than, you know, if we'd gone to, a, say, a hotel somewhere in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, but- the other thing I just wanted to mention, though, was really like all of the considerations that we have as a social work therapist, right? Like that issue of confidentiality, though, like, of course, we're always thinking about that. Mm. But that, that was really interesting, that point that they both raised about being out in a public space, though, you do have to be considering confidentiality in a slightly different way. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I, I agree. That's right. That's what I mean by throwing up our Western notions of these ideas. It really does turn it on its head. Uh, but for all of this good stuff, Liz, if someone were to say to me, um, Mim, you've got to get out there into the bush, I have to tell you <laughs> that that would not be met incredibly well. Like I'd say, yes, I'll go for a bushwalk the today. But if they were to say to me, you know, really what you're going to need is to go and camp for however many days, um, you know, I, I, I would find that not to be therapeutic. You'd be voting with your feet. I'd be You'd vo- be walking away from, from this as an option. And, but again, isn't that interesting that that was part of Josh's assessment process yes, about discerning right. whether this was actually going to work with this particular young man. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what I mean. It, it really highlights our very basic crucial skills around assessing the um, circumstances and psychosocial situation of the person that we're working with, actually thinking through various options around what is the best way forward for the therapeutic intervention and working with the person every step of the way, no matter what it is that has been decided upon, right? Like, uh, for me, it was just a really a lesson around uh, the transferability of our skills, Liz. The, the final point that I appreciated in this was uh, it wasn't just a head and heart space. It was actually moving body. And I really, for someone like me, I really liked that. The idea of sitting down quietly in a room and not moving it has no appeal. I would much prefer this. And the lack of eye contact too sometimes can be really nice. Yeah. You know, not that intense gaze that you can sometimes true. get with your therapist. Walking side by side has a completely different dynamic for, for many of yes. us. And I have to say that's the work that, you know, people do a lot in community gardens, right, where you're busy gardening with your hands and you're talking while that's happening. And that sort of work I think is fantastic and I'm 
100% on board with that. One of the things I know that Amanda and Josh are doing a lot of work and advocacy around is actually training um, both practitioners and students in bush adventure therapy. And I think that's really important that actually this is one of the toolbox, Liz, that we have at our disposal, right? It's one of the, th- well, the ways of practice. And so um, if anyone is interested in getting on board and knowing more, and we're going to link to um, Amanda and Josh uh, in this episode in the show notes so that you can get in touch directly and uh, have those conversations and if you're interested in being trained in this space you can actually find some avenues to do that. So if I could say to my 16 year old self dangling over that rock while Sister Maureen was down underneath with the strong whistle, (laughs) my friends laughing (laughs) down the bottom It can actually be a therapeutic process, Liz. You can actually engage in nature in a therapeutic way. Don't worry. By the time you're 60, you'll hear about this other way of working with nature that's actually soul nourishing. So, you know, I'm so pleased that I got to hear about, do we call it bat? Bush Adventure Therapy. Bush Adventure Therapy. And um, I have to say this conversation is bringing back all my trauma memories uh, from the outdoors as well. But no, I think that's good, right? Like I think you're right. It's about the... um, they're working through our relationship with nature as well as a base as a base starting point and before thinking about it as a therapeutic intervention that we can take on board. I really want to thank Amanda and Josh for um, engaging in this conversation. I know for me it was really eye-opening and, um, and I encourage everyone to, you know, challenge your assumptions as I did, Liz. Well, me too. I, I certainly have been stretched. Uh, one final thing, even though I said one final thing before... <laughs> I am hearing more and more of social workers who are doing their supervision in nature. Oh, fantastic. in nature in the supervision, especially around COVID times. A lot of our social workers were doing that, meeting in a park and doing walking supervision. So it kind of, whilst it's not bat, it actually has some elements of of it um, and taking it into the supervisory space. Oh, mm. everybody get out there and do that. And um, Mm. yeah, let us know if if this episode has inspired you at all um, to get out and try some new things. Awesome. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, Liz. I hope you all take care of yourselves out there and uh, we'll see you soon. We'll see you next month. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Social Work Stories podcast. All of the stories we share are de-identified to respect and protect the people involved. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice, no matter the context. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work we do, we would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, If you can leave us a five-star rating and write a review, it would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Liz Murphy, Dr. Mim Fox, Justin Stesch, Dr. Ben Joseph, and Maddie Stratton. Thanks so much for listening.